Hello, and welcome to this episode of Foodlands. I'm Theo Simmons from Profits, Wizards and the Quest to Value Nature. This is a special episode of the season, kindly hosted by the International Institute of Applied Systems Analysis. Last episode, you'll remember we heard from Mark Maslin at the geospatial AI company Resitech and biodiversity engineer Yuri Martin from the Luxembourg Institute of Science and Technology. They both talked about how important data is becoming within agriculture. And in this episode, we get into even more detail about what the data revolution means for creating a life-supporting, sustainable food system. Other species in the biosphere can see different wavelengths of light. They can see magnetic fields. They have information on our interconnections with nature that we just don't possess. That's changing for us humans. Alexandra is joined by Stefan Fritz and Juan Carlos Lasso Bayas, researchers in the Novel Data Ecosystems Group of the Advancing Systems Analysis Program at IASA, and Tammy van der Waal, information management expert with a special interest in the data revolution at Wageningen University in the Netherlands and a commercial manager at AcaWeb. It's a seriously interesting episode. In a way, many farmers in the global north are where we all were with Facebook back in the early 2000s. We didn't yet know the value of our own data. We really hope you enjoy the episode and huge thanks to Ivelena Georgieva and Gerrit Hager at IASA for convening this great discussion. All right. So it's a great pleasure to be with the three of you here uh, on the podcast. Uh, welcome to all three of you, Tama, Juan Carlos and Stefan. It's great. We're going to be talking about whether technology and technological innovation can help us both feed the world and reduce biodiversity loss due to better land management practices. And it's a far and wide topic. So thankfully, there are three of you. Um, and hopefully we'll do our best to bring these issues down on the ground to pragmatically which tools are being developed. So as we like to just begin on this podcast, I'll invite each one of you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you do and why you do it. Do you want to get us started, Tama? Yes, of course. Thank you very much, Alexandra. Um, uh, my name is Tom van der Waal. Um, I, I have actually two jobs. I, I work at Wageningen Research as a scientist um, working on uh, digital solutions. Uh, and uh, the other part of my, my working life, I'm uh, running a company that is uh, selling uh, sp spatial data, satellite data to farmers. So I'm, I'm both with my feet in the mud, so to say, and uh, looking from, from the ivory tower uh, towards it. Um, my main occupation there is, is to see how we can use technology and, and, and particularly data and, and digital uh, uh, technologies to, to reshuffle the balance between economic benefit and ecological pressures. Um, because I think with the technology we can do a lot in um, helping farmers to, to um, uh, be still uh, economically uh, viable, but have better care for soil, environment, climate, etc. So that, that's what I do. Mm. Thank you so much. Juan Carlos, do you want to take over? Sure. Uh, my name is Juan Carlos Lasso, and I am a research scholar at the International Institute for Applied Systems Analysis. Um, I work mostly with uh, citizen science, uh, 
and I've been, I mean, mostly focusing on statistics, though lately we've been working with projects that deal with technology that can help farmers. So I'm by formation an agronomist, but now I try to put all this uh, citizen science and crowdsourcing into helping uh, farmers through technology. So that's what I do. Thank you. And last but not least, we have Stefan. Yes, hello. Thanks, Alessandra. My name is Stefan Fritz. I'm from the International Institute for Applied Systems Analysis as Juan Carlos. And I'm currently program director of the Strategic Initiatives Program. Um, and I've previously done a bit of work with respect to um, data, data analysis. Uh, my background is geography. And we've been doing quite a bit of work also on global analysis, um, citizen science and earth observation, but also looking at indirect land use changes. And I think that plays also quite an important role in this topic, you know, how to feed the world. Um, so I think we've done some relevant research in this field uh, to tackle some of the questions you, you, you want to answer. Thank you. Yeah, before we zoom in on European agriculture and the European food lands, as we call them here on the podcast, the three of you are working on issues that touch upon global agri-food systems and that reflect on how we will feed the growing population of the world without harming the earth systems that literally underlie this capacity to feed everyone and to make sure that, that it's sustainable in the most literal sense. So, Stefan, do you want to begin by telling us a little bit more about the demographic pressures that lie ahead for our food systems and a hint of how we're going to begin to face those? Yeah, I mean, um, just maybe to zoom out again on, on the global level. So if you look globally, what has happened in the last 20, 30 years, we have drastically deforested uh, many areas, in particular tropical forests. There has been a very high rate of, of tropical deforestation. And this only happened due to the pressure we have on land and due to the growing population we have to feed due to the increase also in meat consumption in a lot of emerging economies, for example, China, but also India and so forth. And uh, if you look at all that pressure on land, we have um, one very obvious thing to do, which some people are not really aware of, is to really try to use some of the yield gaps we have globally. So whereas in Europe, for example, we produce around eight tons per hectare of maize uh, grain, right? Roughly 7.8, I think, is the average in Europe. But the average in Africa is only two tons per hectare. So we have a massive yield gap. So if we can close that yield gap in Africa by putting, putting more inputs, in Africa we don't put enough uh, fertilizer, in Europe, we put too much. So this is really the challenge. But if we did that, we could really free up a lot of land and we could automatically, just by doing that, save a lot of biodiversity. This is, I think, an important point to be made here. Thanks. Tama, because this is such a vast question, I want to give you the opportunity to react. Same for you, Juan Carlos, if you'd like to step in. Yes, I, I would definitely uh, like to add to that. Um, uh, I fully agree with, with Stefan. Um, um, if, if we can bring the best agricultural practices to uh, the best places to do it, 
um, um, we could use less land to, to, to create a higher production and indeed uh, create um, uh, uh, enough food for, for the growing uh, population. Um, this is, however, this, is, this is, has been um, a debate in the past years um, because many people see intensivation um, as, a, as a, a damaging to environment and, and biodiversity and ecological values. Um, but indeed, it, it's the, 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 the more regional global perspective that should be taken into account. If you can focus it on, on small areas, um, you still need to do it sustainable on a sustainable way there. You still need to do it on a sustainable way there. Um, uh, but, but you can definitely indeed um, um, uh, save a lot of forest uh, or other nature areas um, that are now inadequately used. Just a very quick reaction on that. I do fully agree with what, what Thomas said, and I'm not promoting here massive fertilizers in Africa, but no. at the same time, I think it's this little bit additional input which could help, uh, and this I think is called microdosing. So rather than overdoing it, as we've been doing it a lot in, in Europe, um, it, a, a little bit of additional, so this can also be organic fertilizer, um, and good practices of soil management in Africa could really already, uh, organic agriculture has also been shown to be quite successful, can increase yield as well. Just wanted to make that point, thanks. Perhaps one thing I might add, if I may, is that um, there's, there's usually this underestimation of how much area or how much contribution to the food system is given by small farmers. So I think these slight additions or these slight improvements to the management done in this, in this area uh, that can be channeled to small farmers considering their, their uh, circumstances, their, um, their income, their, you know, the, the level of technology they can access. I uh, can do a huge difference on that. So that's another thing I wanted to, to mention there. Mm, and I feel like um, most of the rest of our talk is not only going to be about um, the innovations that are coming up, but how do we communicate and disseminate these new ideas that are going to allow increased yields on the same land. But it, it sounds to me like you guys are falling pretty straight on this land sharing versus land sparing debate. Um, and what I'm hearing is an ideal intensification on small areas in order to be able to protect forests on a global scale. Um, and whenever people lean towards this kind of vision of the future, um, I think it shifts also the debate on energy intensivity, right? And and how intense, how much intense energy you would need to produce these fertilizers. Perhaps this is why um, they're still being demonized a little bit. Uh, can you can you react to this kind of critique of fertilizers as being energy intensive? Stefan, go ahead. Well, well, I don't really have. This is a really tricky question you're po posing there. Um, I mean, of course, um, producing fertilizer is is indeed um, in general quite energy intensive, especially the industrial fertilizers like, like nitrogen. But as I have already said that. There are many other ways. Also, you can have organic uh, um, um, organic ways of fertilizing, and also, especially in Africa, coming back to Africa, you have many times these mixed systems, or you have these livestock uh, mixed systems where there will always be certain animals 
goats and and cows uh, many times cattle around um, and 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 you can make use of that that as a first thing and then you can do also a lot of things in terms of soil management where you put some of the uh, um, initial harvest straw and so forth back into the soil so that that itself is uh, you know can be done without producing industrial fertilizer so there's a lot of things which can be done without that but um, i wouldn't be completely against it i mean it is true that it is energy intensive but at the same time if you can increase yield to some degree in some areas using this microdosing approach uh, maybe then the overall gain you're getting out of it, the overall energy gain you will get out of the yield in the end is higher than the, the input you produce. But there are also efficiency gains which can be made through technological in improvements um, um, and, and this needs to be further examined. Just to start with the fertilizer issue, um, what we see is that we, we use fertilizer indeed to increase uh, crop yields. Uh, which is very necessary, but it it has become um, a kind of um, a golden solution to everything. So whatever is wrong with a with a soil or uh, a parcel, uh, we add fertilizer to it, and um, the crop picks up what is needed. But the rest, the the surplus, is um, uh, draining or em emitting to the environment. And um, uh, I think the, the the big trick is um, can we use technology. Um, to uh, advise farmers uh, on the exact amounts of fertilizer that is needed for the crop, but that will not influence the environment. And um, to come towards this carbon farming uh, thing, um, it's not, not just about the fertilizer itself, it's also about the organic matter in the soil. Um, what we see is that a lot of agricultural areas uh, have um, um, reduced the organic matter um, due to intensive practices. Um, and uh, therefore uh, are prone to, to all kinds of risks with these soils. The risk for, for drought, and, and, but also for waterlogging, uh, but also uh, risks on nutrient leaching uh, directly to the, to the groundwater or, or deeper soils, uh, rather than staying in this fertile um, um, uh, root zone where it can be taken up by the crop, maybe even at a later stage. So th this whole carbon farming thing where you are uh, looking at how to increase uh, the carbon stock in the soil, basically by increasing organic matter, is actually an excellent way of also reducing uh, risks on uh, nutrient uh, deficits or water uh, deficits, um, and, and therefore it's like a win-win. And and in 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 a more uh, holistic way, we call this regenerative farming, where uh, as a farmer you're not 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 just looking at your soil as a substrate to grow your crop. But you look at it as a piece of capital that you invest in and that will give you returns on investment. And um, uh, in the long run, you would like the capital to, to grow and not to, to go down. And, and I think that, that is the whole essence of regenerative agriculture. And that makes a lot of sense, even in intensive cropping areas. And this carbon farming uh, debate uh, uh, or carbon farming uh, solution could definitely help to that a lot. Plus, there might be some ways apart from fertilizer, right? Like there's so many losses on on insect damage or um, storage that these kind of um, solutions that you can suggest to farmers can actually reduce lots of those. So that's another important point that we can transmit potential 
um, practical solutions that are maybe accessible that can be easily taken up, but they, maybe they're not known. I'd just like to go home with these ideas, right? Because yesterday um, the new the new cap was brought forward before the MEPs, and um, so starting in 2023 onwards, um, there's going to be a new common agricultural policy in the EU. Um, and I, I'm just wondering how much it will address this need to innovate and whether you think it's going to give sufficient incentive for the regenerative change that we need in our landscape. Stefan, would you like to lead the way? Yeah, thanks. Uh, um, I think this is a, an indeed an important question. So I can't really tell you if it's enough. For sure, the Commission has taken some measures now to, to improve things around biodiversity and regenerative agriculture. So there are for sure new incentives now in place. And what has drastically uh, changed and what is really a step change is that I think for the first time there is this disconnect now in the common agricultural policy between subsidies and production. So production is not food first anymore. And many other factors are now equally considered. And, and that is, you know, fair income, competitiveness is only one of them. Food value chains are also understanding that the farmer um, is part of the value chain and needs to be sufficiently compensated um, the, the income of the farmers relative to the others, to the manufacturers and the retailers has gone down quite a lot. Then there is climate change that there are opportunities also as already Tame has uh, pointed us to, you know, that farmers can directly get benefits uh, and increase their income by doing climate uh, specific smart, climate smart agriculture, as well as doing more for the environment. Um, I think the rule now is that farmers have to set aside and keep for biodiversity as a minimum 3% of their farm, but they can get additional income um, beefing this up to 7%. So their direct payments, which can be done to farmers um, through this new scheme, and this is really a game changer. Uh, but also there is a stronger emphasis now on landscape, on landscape heterogeneity and smaller farms as well supporting sufficiently the smaller farms Juan has, has talked about. Um, and of course, uh, this has always been a problem with farming in Europe, the generational renewal, which is so much needed. And then we are also making the link to technology. We're really hoping that there will be more younger farmers taking up farming and they are also much more open to, to new innovative technologies, which can play a really increasingly increasing role, such as, for example, blockchain, uh, and also that farmers start organizing themselves much more, you know, taking the power uh, in that value chain and claiming more of the gains. Uh, uh, and that there's hope, hope for that. And of course, last not but least, there is quite a strong focus now also on food, uh, food health and animal health. Uh, that, that's, I think, really good news for us. Thanks. Thank you so much. Are there any ways in which um, you think, I'm going to stay with you, Stefan, it's not enough? Where would you push forward? Um, yeah, it's a tricky question because, you see, if you do too much, you, you get the backlash. And I think it is a step change and you can only do things gradually. So considering that we can't change everything now from one day to another, even though we do actually need a, need a transformation, 
uh, maybe this was the compromise uh, which was achieved. So I think still think it's a success. But of course, um, you could, um, you know, in terms of payments and direct payments, you could increase them and you could increase, of course, always the proportion which which relates to directly to biodiversity and to climate. And this uh, could happen maybe in the next in the next cup. But uh, this is where where there are debates going on. Is it is it really enough? And and uh, but for sure we will see changes in the European lane, landscape, or hopefully see see changes. Um, maybe the others have some some thoughts around those as well. Yeah, let's open the floor, Tama. Would you like to add something? Yeah. Yes, yeah, sure. I I, I think um, uh, the the European Commission has been been trying to make these changes for the past uh, two decades or uh, at least, um, uh, but this is the first time I think they achieve it and even get good support um, for, from the Parliament and and the Council. And um, uh, that has always been been difficult. And it, it is uh, yes, depending on your point of view, it's never enough or or it's too much. Um, but I think it's just, it's a clear incentive of um, well, first of all, of how um, society at large would like to uh, support farmers um, uh, if they comply with the regulations on on, on more uh, sustainable production and uh, uh, climate friendly, etc. Um, and and uh, it's it's a strong message that that uh, in this way uh, farmers also play an important role in in managing the landscape. Uh, it's not just about uh, economic benefits, but it's also about the societal aspect of farming uh, that 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 is now I think better valued. And um, uh, yeah, it, it, these are of course difficult things because we are living in an economically uh, um, governed world where where especially businesses. Uh, go for for uh, profits or at least uh, positive uh, um, um, balances, um, but but when you do that by using the commons uh, like like soil and air and water and and all these kind of things, it's always very difficult on how to how to uh, estimate how much you can uh, do as an enterprise and how much uh, it, it's for for public good and and this balance I think is is now. Um, uh, with with these incentives from the cup is is trying to shift a little bit. It's, it's not just uh, farmers are not just economic agents; they are also um, societal agents taking care of our uh, environment. Mm, and I one... wonder whether these. Oh, go for it. No, no. Sorry, I was just going to say that maybe one crucial thing will be how to communicate these these things uh, to to farmers because usually you might have the best. Uh, potential solutions to that, but if the communication gets lost and it's just thought of, thought of as a, you know, the government putting new uh, potential ways of controlling farmers rather than actually communicating this. So communication to me will be crucial too. I was just going to ask um, Juan Carlos if you can maybe give us an idea of ways that they're more horizontal ways of communicating with farmers to give them less this impression of top down um, regulation coming in that's not in their favor. I I have the impression that, for example, in this in this technology plays a, a good a good role because at least in Europe there's this high uptake of of different technological solutions. So many of these uh, applications or platforms can actually transmit this in a more transparent manner. To me, 
usually the problem is that things are not so transparent and so the the for the final users or, or the people that should be taking up this technology is not clear what will be their benefit or what will be the uh the the penalty or the or the or the benefit of having this there so i think transparency will be uh, a very clear thing um that's that's one thing i could mention what is also interesting in that sense is that technology can also help um, uh, farmers or, or other organizations to change the governance um, uh, process. So it's not, it's not just uh, regulations and laws that that putting down on uh, being put down on farmers and and tell them what to do and how to do it. Um, uh, farmers are increasingly now uh, aware of the situation uh, with with environment with climate. Uh, and and with technology, they can they can inverse that governance ideal uh, by saying, well, listen, we are a group of farmers and we produce in a sustainable way or an ecologically friendly way or animal friendly way, uh, and we are delivering these products to the market uh, for dedicated consumers that are ready to pay an extra maybe for this um, uh, for this product uh, uh, for the pro products that are produced in this way. And, and 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 this governance turnaround, I think, is a very interesting thing. And of course, we need to have a kind of governmental control. Um, but you control you can, you can as a government, you don't no longer have to uh, put down laws to enforce these kind of things. But uh, farmers and and uh, uh, food chains, they can inverse this process by doing it themselves and showing to governments that listen, we are uh, doing it in a, in a, in the way that you would like to do this. Uh, Stefan, I'll move right on back to you after this. But uh, Tama, what kind of tools are you um, are you referring to when you talk about that upstream communication between farmers and regulatory bodies? What we see now is that with with, with sensor technologies and uh, all kinds of data platforms, uh, farmers are collecting data not not about the production, but also about the production ways. So on on, on the cultivation measures. Or, uh, and and these informations are often quite one-on-one uh, uh, -on -one translatable in um, all kinds of standards or, or schemes that uh, food chains or, or governments uh, apply. So with these data uh, systems, you can more or less um, 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 accompany the product by, by showing how, what has been done and how it has been created and, and proving that it's been done in the right way. Stefan, would you like to add something? Yeah, may maybe just one aspect. I think there are also ongoing discussions that there could be more self-reporting by farmers on, on the, how they manage their farms. And if, if this is really the, the case, it's not only anymore now controlling the farmers. The European Commission is having their satellites controlling them, but it's basically matching what the farmer is kind of self-reporting but also valuing the farmer more in terms of the ecosystem services the farmer provides to society. So this is now for the first time more internalized. Before it was externalized, so it was production, 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 but the biodiversity aspect, the carbon aspect was completely lost. But this aspect is now reconsidered and this could give a new push to especially young farmers and technology averse farmers to, to really step in. And um, there are also new technologies such as remote sensing where the, the farmer can directly benefit. So 
um, a simple indicator is the um, normalized uh, difference vegetation index NDVI, and you you can use that and see you know which other farmers might have different practices. How how is the neighboring farmer performing? What is he doing? What is he doing better? What is he doing differently? And it's uh, an enabling technology where the farmer can learn more about his own uh, uh, farms and the relationship this has to remotely sense-based um, indices such as NDVI. He can learn more, but he can then also learn how to interpret this uh, and understand better how other farmers are managing the land, for example, if one farmer uh, practices conservation agriculture, cover crops over the winter, these kind of things can be observed from remote sensing and that really offers new new possibilities. But also another aspect which comes in here is, I think we should touch upon that, is data sharing. And, and farmers are not necessarily so much willing initially to share all their data because again, they have this idea, big brother, the EU is watching me, but if there is a mind shift that there is really also a benefit for them if they share their data with other farmers, you can have this kind of benchmarking and they can really, um, you know, work together to, to improve their practices and to also become even a bigger value for, for society. I just want to make that point. Thanks. I was going to ask another question, but do, do say if you want to backtrack um, in response. And my cat just came on my lap. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think I was going to ask about, um, you mentioned technology-averse uh, farmers who might still be keen with some of these tools, who might still find them helpful. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, with all this research progress process that we, sorry, I'm going to, okay, you're going to have to go. Okay. I think with all the research process that we did with this with this podcast, we didn't want it to go that way, but it, there's really a dissociation that's creating in my mind. On one hand, there is the growing agro-environmental schemes, which are even turning into uh, natural capital, which is like an enhanced incentive payment that's based on the added environmental value that certain farmers can create. And whenever I think about that, I think about those smallhold farmers that may be more connected to the land who are struggling to put their produce on the market and to really make a living from that, who are going to get really supported um, by these new schemes. And then on the other hand, um, you know, the farmers who are going to sustain this challenge of food production and who are going to equip themselves increasingly and who are going to benefit from the more traditional direct payments that are related to the amount of food that's produced, you know, as if farmers are going to become two different jobs. But you guys are all working on technology that is explicitly trying to help farmers address the the biodiversity crisis on their land. So I was just, yeah, maybe I can just have open reactions to this statement. Maybe one, one reaction to this. I think, um, you know, nowadays we would have never thought, let's say 30 or 20 years ago, we would have never thought that all of us will have this kind of mobile phone in our hand, which is a high-tech technology, but it's affordable. So um, maybe in the future, even small scale farmers can use this this technology, which might not be even that costly. And I think the more they are open to adopt um, this, these new technologies, 
um, uh, the, the easier it will also be for them to be competitive than, than on the market, but also to get the benefits and the payments they deserve. So there are the very simple technologies just based on smartphone where they can, for example, delineate their, their area, their land, and through those, uh, um, it also maybe the payments can be made more direct. So these are some technological solutions uh, which might also be accessible to uh, to small scale farmers, but also there are cheaper sensors which, which they can use, and they are still of high and sufficient quality. So so the the way they they hopefully will go is to still adopt those technology which is is affordable to them. Simon, do you want to build on that? Why is the future of biodiversity-sensitive agriculture not low-tech? Yeah, it, it's a it's a very difficult um, a question to answer in in, in a straight way. And uh, personally, I I believe, and I mentioned that before, is is that uh, technology can shift the balance between um, the ecological aspects of farming and the economical aspects of farming. Um, uh, if you talk about low tech and 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 you refer to maybe not using all kinds of digital technologies, um, the the problem is that that we also have a lot of technology, for instance, in the chemical um, part of of agriculture and fertilizers, crop protection agents. Um, also in the seeds is a lot of technology involved. So if you want to uh, deploy these these kind of technologies um, uh, without the digital technologies. Then I think you 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 more or less summarize what has been happened in the past uh, 20, 30 years, um, where the first technologies were, were like like um, um, uh, uh, not very knowledge intensive uh, technologies. If I buy a seed with a coating that prevents the seed from from getting attacked by all kinds of of molds or, or whatever, um, uh, there, there is a lot of technology. But it is just just the same as a seat that I had before. Yeah? Uh, I, I just just uh, deploy it. But in order to 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 get the best kind of profit out of get get better production out of that seat, I need fertilizer and I need water. And if I don't have the digital technologies to optimize that in in an ecological economical balance, then um, you easily uh, um, uh, go um, beyond the, the 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 limits that are are. Um, Sustainable, so it's a it's a very if you are really low 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 tech yeah, if it, if that's what you're referring to, then there's no harm to the environment. Those farms farmers they understand that they have to take care of their crops, uh, sorry of their soils and and uh, the environment around it. But um, and you cannot you cannot cherry pick one technology out of that and, and forget about the other ones. So that, that is a bit of the risk that I see. Um, I, I fully agree that that the the big chances uh, or the easy chances are, are for large farms. Um, so smallholder farms are more difficult to reach with these technologies. And as but as Stefan says, it takes maybe some time, but we will get there in the end because this technology will uh, will will get absorbed by also the, the the smallholder farms. Maybe it takes a generation. That could be that the younger generation is more uh, as, um, um, able to to use it, but we have to get there. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm low tech without. Yeah, I don't, I don't really believe in it. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, but also we may be talking about low tech um, in the uh, say, for example, 
on the field, whereas the communication of these high-tech practices, which are very common practices of, for example, conservation agriculture or practices that just enhance yield in different ways. So the high-tech part is the is the transmission of the message rather than the actual practice on the ground necessarily. Sure, sure. So that might be that might be, for example, with that's what we are experiencing with with some of the the farmers in Mexico, for example, right? We, we didn't expect them to have all of them many, you know, smartphones, but actually when we met them, most of them haven't a smartphone, even though uh, they're really in places very hard to reach. And so the, the problem that we had before was the transmission of all of these. And I think the technology is really helping us to do that. Just a simple example that, that I that I learned on the project that I visited in, in Ethiopia. Um, is that a lot of uh, crop failure there um, uh, starts by uh, sowing at the wrong date. Um, basically, they are waiting for the rain uh, and then they start sowing. Um, but you, you never know if the, the first drops of rainfall, is that, is that, is that the real rain or is that just an, 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 um, um, a storm in advance of the real rain period? Uh, giving these people an, a, a good weather information through mobile phones already reduces the amount of crop failures significantly. And just by saying, next week it's really going to rain. And, and, and then they can start sowing and, and, and fertilizing, and then the rain comes and the crop will, will flourish. So that, if, if that's what you mean, I fully agree, Juan. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is one, one of the things. I mean, the high tech will be the transmission, but I meant also like pre-existing agricultural practices, right? Of course, seeding date is a is a crucial one and then if that is informed by you know existing already forecasts on, on higher technology which are also high tech that's that's good too yes excellent yeah yeah i mean just to add to that i think what is additionally re really important in this so it's the sowing date but also if you can really make a good drought forecast in this african country so if you, the drought forecasting is also in getting better but that is what matters a lot to what degree do do they for example have to use sorghum instead of maize because sorghum is more drought resistant so this type of information in terms of their choices is is of course also really useful so indeed it's the weather forecast and the, the longer term seasonal um, drought related forecast or even flood forecast which which then matters thanks I was just wondering whether, um, Juan Carlos, you could take a moment to introduce to us the project that you're working on with the farmers in Mexico, so that we could talk about um, perhaps some of the opportunities that innovation offers and some of the challenges involved. Right. So there are two parts. So before we, we, we had already a project that was uh, running for a couple of years and now is a transfer technology to the International Center for Maize and Wheat Improvement uh, in Mexico, CIMIT. Uh, with them, we developed together um, a mobile app, uh, which is which was essentially focusing on sustainable intensification of agriculture. So that is, was transmitting to the farmers all of these potential tips and tricks for improving uh, agriculture in small uh, in small steps. Um, currently, we have another project that is uh, starting next year. Uh, and it will also be in Mexico with the same, with a similar platform with AgroTutor, but we will be using, we will be transmitting uh, strategies through the app um, that are, um, that is called on agriculture 
um, how is it? Agriculture based on ecosystems or something like this. Or, um, yeah, I, I'm sorry, I forgot the actual name now, but this is essentially trying to look at the ecosystem where the where the farmers are or look at the at the location which they are and then suggest the better practices for that location but transmitting them through this application and the idea is also that this application has the possibility of sharing all of this weather data has the possibility of um, sharing potential yield uh, developed from crop models to the farmers and also collect back some of this information. So it allows the farmers to enter every management practices that they have done in the in the application. And that informs back the models that we run um, for, for example, crop potential or yield potential or so on, which again goes back to them, right? And then there are other other modules that we will try to include there that we had with the, for the app before, like a price forecasting, which is not only, you know, focusing on the agricultural part, but telling farmers what will be the potential uh, route that they could take to better sell their crops uh, or, the, or the final crop that they, they collect, right? And um, all of these, the, the previous application, the current application have in, in common that they are aiming to, um, to modify existing practices or tune or fine tune them. So there is not this spillover to the environment, this extra fertilizer used these misuse of pesticides and insecticides and so on. Uh, all of these things that not only protect the environment and the, and the water table and the water uh, that runs around the farms, but also reduces costs for the farmers, which is, which is uh, an important spin and important thing, especially with small farmers that we work on in Mexico. So in a nutshell, that's, that's more or less what we're, we will be trying to do and we were doing before. I just, I guess I wanted to begin by looking at what are perhaps some of the technical challenges associated with the development of this tool um, and maybe factoring this in. I, I don't know if it's separate, but what is the appeal for a farmer to use this tool? Are you finding that it's very obvious to come up to a farmer and to put it in place? Um, what are some of the challenges along the way? Right. I mean, one of the things we realized before, and this we realized through all this crowdsourcing and, and citizen science campaigns, is that what what is this hook? Right. In this case, for the farmers, we thought that one of the most important things was to uh, give them actionable information. So something they could act on, like, for example, this price forecasting was one of the, the main things that we had here. So you could see that the, the price of a certain commodity was falling or was rising. And so you could say, OK, I rather store it or rather keep it or rather sell it here or sell it directly to the market, right? If you can, and we another thing we had there was a layer of uh, geographically derived information with several locations of where you could sell uh, the, 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 the products that you produce or where the nearest um, um, support area from this, from CIMIT, for example, in the previous project. Uh, so something that you can act on, something that can save you money and something that may enhance your production and, and, and buy uh, as a collateral effect, reduce the impact on the on the biodiversity, right? Because that's not so obvious to see, and that is not a short-term thing for a farmer. It's usually is a longer, a mid, long-term that you can see all the benefit of these practices in restoring your soil, in protecting the biodiversity, in uh, enhancing the habitat for pollinators that might in turn turn better your production and so on, right? So. Uh, 
yeah, that's that's the appeal, something that has to be direct. And later on, you can see the indirect effects that are also for your for your own farm. And in, in that specific context as developers, was it um, quite obvious the nexus between something that's more cost efficient and economically viable for the farmers and simultaneously that is um, environmentally regenerative? Was that nexus obvious? In in what sense? So be, between these these two areas of, of uh, biodiversity enhancement and also reducing of costs? Yeah, I mean... Mm-hmm. For, from an agronomist perspective, this was uh, um, quite quite obvious, and this is why we were working also with the International Center for uh, Medicine with Improvement because they had already uh, some experience on some of these varieties or some practices that could reduce the cost that could already uh, improve the yields. Of course, CIMIT also has lots of new technology, new varieties for for improve uh, for maize or for wheat specifically. And some other in some other crops too, um, but definitely there are some slight changes on practices that do a lot to 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 improve yields and also to reduce costs and by default to to um, avoid uh, environmental problems. And so yeah, that was the that was a very key a very easy gain. But the difficult part was the communication, and so the tool that we developed was the key to enhance and and disseminate this faster and on a larger scale. That was. That's what we're hoping with this new project too, and that's what we're hoping with the, as the as the other uh, deployment of this one um, happens. I'm gonna get a, a chance to to ask Stefan. Would you like to to react or perhaps um, introduce another tool um, that you're finding interesting at the moment? So I just wanted to also um, let you know about um, some tools we have been developing as part of um, Horizon or in the Horizon 2020 project. Um, and this is around um, giving farmer the, farmers the opportunity to get access to, to satellite data. Um, it's a, essentially, it's a platform where um, farmers can see how they manage their um, fields. So they can draw an area on Google Maps, for example, or other tools, or also aerial photography. And then they can um, see time series of, of satellite data uh, in order to understand how the management of their fields relates to this satellite related indices. Um, and they can also get aggregate statistics. They can also see how their performance and how their management compares to, to that of other farmers. Um, and they can also get the more wider kind of overview on, on how satellite uh, technology can help them, in particularly also looking at their own fields and in-field variability. So they can, with the satellite, see at which location maybe more water is needed, maybe more fertilizer might be needed, uh, where the shortcomings are. And sometimes these patterns are persistent um, over the over the season and even in the next year. You. You get certain areas where soil is simply not not that fertile compared to other areas. So it's very fascinating for for farmers to actually make that connection to to um, remote sensing technology. Um, and I think I think that is that is really really fascinating. Um, and I think particularly um, younger farmers um, and those farmers who are open to new technologies will. 
will very much at, at potentially adopt adopt those. I think Tame is working in a similar similar field. Maybe he wants to to add something. Yes, you you've been mowing a lot of grass for me. Uh, it's uh, yes, I I, I, um, I I started my career working in satellite data, uh, and I've seen it growing uh, over the past decades. Um, um, and it is still continuing to develop. And satellite data is definitely a great tool. The 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 thing that we recently introduced is a smartphone app to actually take these satellite data also into the field. So uh, not only from your office, from your desk, but um, we 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 give farmers the opportunity to walk in into their fields, uh, um, walk into the satellite image, so to say, or the analyzed satellite image and to uh, for instance if there was an indication of a bad spot on the satellite data based on your vegetation indexes in, indeed you can walk towards it and you can identify the causes of uh, the, the, the 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 crop staying behind um, which can be many uh, different and that is something from space we can hardly see so we see there is something wrong on the on the part of the field but what's wrong? So we advise farmers, take, take it on your smartphone, walk there, um, uh, uh, take a sample of the soil or a sample of the leaves, maybe even take a picture um, with, with, with the ge uh, geocoding uh, uh, attached. And, and then you can go home for further analysis or you can show it to an advisor uh, for further analysis. And, um, uh, and I must admit that that um, uh, that I've rediscovered the the value of these smartphone apps or mobile phone apps. We, we used to do a lot in the past with 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 all kinds of PDAs and whatever. But with in, uh, I think Juan mentioned that before uh, that the smartphone is in everybody's pocket. Um, so it's in your pocket. You can you have it with you, and if you have apps on that, it will help you a lot and help farmers not only. In the morning or in the in the evening when they are at home uh, in, in in their office, but also during the day uh, while they are in the fields, getting the information that's really needed. Yeah, m maybe just to add one additional point to what Tame just said. What is even more interesting is that you can use the smartphone, but then you have also these new opportunities to link low-cost sensors to the smartphone, so they are directly connected. Like for example, soil moisture. So I do remember quite a time ago, I was talking to an African farmer in Kenya and he told me, you know, this piece of land, it, it's just not fertile at all because he forgot to uh, irrigate. And uh, in that time, it was, was, I think, 10 years ago, we discussed this option of a low-cost uh, soil moisture sensor. And I think this is, this is coming. So also temperature sensors give some warning about uh, heat stress, but also um, uh, the lack of... of um, the, the, the lack of irrigation at certain locations. Oh. So I think that this is really, really exciting also with respect to the Internet of Things where all these uh, sensors are, are being being connected and brought together. Hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's strange. I mean, whenever I hear about satellite data in relation to farmers, um, I think, yeah, for based on conversations I've had with a lot of farmers I do research with, uh, I still think about cap regulations and how that satellite data is is used also to tell them off when they're not following the agro-environmental schemes that they're a part of or some of the environmental, basic environmental regulations they're asked to follow. And, and that makes me think also about, Stefan, what you said about some farmers being reluctant to share their data. Um, I'm wondering whether 
I'm wondering how most farmers react to this idea of being able to see their own farm, you know, from a satellite or being able to get get sensor data on their own farm and someone else being able to access that because they must know someone else is able to access that if they themselves have access to that tool, right? Um, is there some resistance in this space where they immediately tie sensors to regulation uh, and surveillance to a certain extent? Yeah, I think, <laughs> don't know if somebody else wants to answer. <laughs> I think Juan Carlos you, was going to step in, but after yes, you. Yes, please. No, no, Juan Carlos. Please. No, I just had the impression that this is a, it's really dependent on where you are, right? So the when we were in Mexico with the first project, there were this clear, um, so we were Or, or acting um, partner was Simit on the ground, and they had uh, arrangements, direct arrangements with the farmers that they were working with, so they could um, somehow use the data that they were um, producing and the location they were doing it, and so on. Since the tool is is a is a mass, um, so it's it's a it's a communication way to mass uh, transmit all these technologies. One of the first things we were thinking is of of course. How how will the data from the farmers be occupied and and by whom and so on? So we had to think of of ways to clarify this at the beginning, and um, we we also thought for for reasons of security, for example, not to share exact locations of the farmers if we if other farmers could see them, but share, for example, averages of certain locations and how much for for that location some potential could be achieved. And I have the impression that here in the European Union, this is this is more of this regulatory power. Uh, but I think maybe Stefan or Tammy might, might want to comment on that. Yeah, maybe maybe one aspect um, coming back to this challenging question you asked, you know, how, how does the farmer perceive the surveillance of the commission as it has been done traditionally? I mean, there has been changes. So previously, there were only tests and control controls being done on I think five percent by the farm. So for a farmer it was still maybe possible to try to cheat a little bit to declare a different crop. This is no longer possible now because nowadays with the new technology and with Sentinel 2, um, everything is known. You can very well um, find those places where it's very unlikely that a, a farmer Um, has declared or it's it's not possible that maybe a farmer has declared a certain field and these areas will then be quite quickly investigated. So this technology has changed so much that and everything is anyway transparent. So maybe conveying a more positive message to the farmer and say you can actually enhance uh, what is being anyway observed by satellite, for example, Linear feature are going. Linear features are going to be increasingly observed, such as hedges and hedgerows. Um, those things you can detect from satellite to some degree now, especially with very high resolution. Um, and but you still need sometimes the contextual information from the farmer, and then maybe adding some element of the potential to give farmers a voice in self-reporting and saying, you know, here is a beehive. A beehive is very hard to pick up from from remote sensing, but to give the farmers the option to additionally add some contextual information to the remote sensing information could flip this whole idea of surveillance to I can contribute myself uh, um, and I can enrich the, the data being collected anyway. So this is what some yeah. thoughts on that. Yeah. 
maybe to add to that, um, um, I, I think the new cap um, is also trying to move away from compliance and is more focusing on performance. And that, that has to do with the things we discussed before. Um, but it also means that the controls are changing. It's, if you want to aim for performance, it doesn't make sense to just to, to take a stick and hit the farmer continuously with you did something wrong or you didn't comply with the rules. Um, what, what we now see as being implemented in the, in the new cap is uh, what they call the area monitoring system. So these satellite data are not used purely for control. They are used to monitor the agriculture uh, and also agricultural activity um, to advise farmers whether they are on track with their, their uh, obligations and how their performance is, is going um, uh, ongoing. So that, that comes very close to what you are um, uh, suggesting, Stefan, is that uh, basically the um, uh, paying agencies who are responsible for executing these uh, CAP regulations um, uh, are no longer just controlling it, but they also are um, uh, uh, giving information back to the farmer about their performance. Uh, on which the farmer can act uh, or not, but in the end, uh, if he, he does not respond, he might get penalized for for not doing things or whatever. But but there, there will be so in 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 um, uh, in the old old days it was uh, the claim uh, of the farmer and then the control, but now uh, the idea is that there will be a continuously dialogue between the paying agency, hence the commission, um, and um, and the farmer. And, 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 and indeed, satellite data is much more used for those kind of tools. Um, the Commission also wants to imply, implement this uh, FAST, the uh, farm sustainability tool, which is indeed a, a, like, like a scenario tool where farmers can understand how different um, uh, activities um, impact on uh, climate, environment, etc. I think because we touched upon all these um, data and surveillance questions, many of our audience members who aren't so familiar with the agritech sector will be immediately thinking about the GAFAM, the big social media and internet um, companies who are getting caught up in all these large data controversies. And many of the GAFAM are also getting interested in uh, agritech um, and in land in general, indeed. Um, so I was wondering whether... Maybe not just talking about Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, and so forth. You could give us a sense of who are the next big business uh, actors um, who are going to get involved in this in the future technologies of the farming sector, and whether we should keep our eyes open on some of those market dynamics and penetration dynamics, and maybe some of the hopes attached to or some of the fears. Stefan, do you want to get us started? Um, I, could... I can. Tr I can try. <laughs> I mean, uh, there, there are many ways and paths this can go. And indeed, there is a certain probability and maybe at the same time a risk, um, as you have mentioned, that the, the biggies, um, Google, Amazon and so forth, are going to get into that space. But what would be to some degree wished for and what could also happen is that, you know, the farmers organize themselves more from a bottom up and grassroots perspective. And they start understanding that they, their data is actually valuable and they don't necessarily always automatically give all their data freely out um, to the big companies uh, or they 
give it available and make it available to everybody, which then um, gives other small medium enterprises uh, um, uh, also the opportunity to provide specific niche services for for farmers. So I think the key is how actually they will will deal with the data. Maybe I just stop here because there is somebody's ringing at the door. Sorry about that. Maybe pass on to somebody else. Tama, would you like to comment, and then Juan? Yeah, uh, I, I think I, um, technology is extremely important, and uh, the data uh, feeding this technology or coming from the technology is also therefore extremely important. But data is useless unless you can uh, analyze it or uh, make diagnostics with it, uh, and 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 put it into action, uh, as has been mentioned. So um, companies like like in the digital realm, like like the, the big ones. Uh, are definitely needed to um, to deal with all these data uh, and and make um, uh, make common good sense out of it. Um, uh, I'm 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 not so cynical that, that that they will take over the agricultural market, but what we see from well, already, uh, I think this week uh, Microsoft uh, um, announced that they were going to work together with Bayer on on certain aspects. Well, then you see that the the, the big tech and the and the big ag uh, companies are joining together and 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 they they can definitely develop a lot of power in these joint ventures and i think uh, uh, bosch and uh, uh, and bas f are, are are doing these kind of things as well so there's a lot of joint ventures where technology and agricultural companies are working together and uh, that, that will definitely be uh, an important um, um, uh, way forward for the future um, i don't have a crystal ball but I, I think um, if we don't act, um, uh, they can indeed be very important players uh, in the near future. I, I fully support what, what Stefan was mentioning, is that um, I, I think farmers should, should better realize the value of the data they have uh, and, and the, the, the data production that they do uh, instead of their agricultural production um, and uh, uh, somehow organize themselves to um, uh, to make sure that they are not um, um, the, the the victims of these um, uh, big big companies, but they they can rather be collaborators of these big companies. They provide the data. They also have to work on the field, um, but these big companies can help them in achieving that in a better way. So there needs to be some kind of of balance. But um, um, at this moment, it looks like the the big tech companies have a lot of advantages. And uh, um, um, as I say, if we don't act on that, they may take over the agricultural uh, realm. And they have no understanding of agriculture. So that would be a yeah. horrible thing. Yeah. Maybe if you allow me, or maybe if one wants to add something first, I have also something to add, but... Go, go ahead, Sif. Um, maybe, maybe if you have something to say, I just try to recall. No, I mean it's, it's just it's just I, I I completely agree with this, and I think we like from the perspective of our institute, like a, like a non-governmental research-oriented, policy-oriented institute, we we have a we have to be very careful on how we develop this kind of technology, so we involve the farmers, especially the small farmers, in in more distant places like for the projects that we work in Mexico say for example as to as to make them aware of this of this value um, so you know they they will pro progressively see that the, the use of these tools are, are is more and more prevalent so 
the more aware that they become of this, this uh, the value of the data, then that also is, is sort of remains with us to, to do a bit of the groundwork too. So, and we are quite aware of this, at least in our project. So I think it's important to, to say it. Carlos, just a follow-up question. How do you, what is the value of this data, simply put, and how do you convey that to a farmer? Well, <laughs> so I think, I mean, for for us, for, for a perspective of a crop, um, let's say, of, of a research institution that develop crop models, then the value of the in-situ data is quite important because it allows us to, to fine-tune models that do uh, better predictions. And so if you think of it from, from a commercial point of view, you have a, a better prediction, you know what you could offer, right? And and what where is needed too, which is not a bad thing, if you are uh, you know not monopolizing that and and you're 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 actually providing a service for uh, a service for people that need it. Uh, so I'm not I'm not against market either. So I'm just trying to say that that's that's the value of of that. And so how how do we make aware of the the farmers of that is. You know, saying that transparently in the app. So exactly this: if you, you, if if people knows that this could be your management practice or your yield or so on, this can be used to provide you a service that it will cost you something, but at the same time is a service or a or a product or so, right? So as long as you're aware of this, as long as you are um, clear on that, and and you can organize with with the rest of farmers or so on or or the your local organization, local government. So how do to manage that? Uh, that should be, yeah, that should be that. So transparency to me again is is the same the same topic and back and forth, no, for for towards the farmers and back. And maybe if you allow me to, um, Alessandra, just to add one aspect, and I think this is the aspect around open data um, and. You know, as we have seen now and what has been happening with, with, with the Googles and the Amazons and the Facebooks, um, very, very little data which, which Google owns is actually shared with the public. Uh, also Twitter data, you can just get access to 1% or something. It's, it's really peanuts what they really share. And you, you've seen it even through the pandemic. Uh, we all were desperate to understand better um mobility data for example what did google they did something good they made it public but only in pdf format uh, um, on a subnational level and we don't want something similar to happen in the x sector that only the the biggies are getting access to all their data controlling it so it's really important also to make funders aware that there is really value in just funding in situ data and open data and that's started to happen now the first time the European Commission gave some money to, for, as part of this GeoGlam initiative to make um, crop type data and location data freely freely open. And there should be more of those, those initiatives where maybe even the farmer gets even paid for making data free and open. And that here uh, um, we already intervene been early that in 10 years we, we find ourselves that there is no public data on or very little or not more than now uh, data on agriculture because only then really and this comes back to the modeling we do at Yaza we can make meaningful predictions in the future and understand better previous developments if we really get access to that really extremely valuable and useful farm farm level management data uh, and, and and I think the the society 
at large is not really fully aware of, of the importance and value of, of, the, of that of that um, in situ data, which also Juan has mentioned. Maybe one other important aspect of data, um, what we, we um, have in the Netherlands are sewing machines that sew on the GPS location at two centimeter accuracy the seeds. And then later on, we have the weeders that, that are uh, removing the weeds. If they don't have the right information about where the seeds are planted, they will remove the, 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 the plants rather than the weeds. Uh, so, you see, there, there, there's also a, a lot of dependency uh, coming towards the data, the data quality, uh, but the data itself. Without these data, we, 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 there are a lot of practices that are not no longer feasible. Thank you guys so much. I mean, I think um, I'm tempted to, to, to leave it at that and to close. And so instead of doing that in the most abrupt way, I'm... I'm just going to open the floor in case you guys want to note anything else that's left. Something that props to your mind and you're just like, we can't finish if we don't mention this. We are good. Definitely. Yeah. Yes, you created yeah. some very interesting <laughs> conversation we had, which we wouldn't have otherwise had, which is great. Good to touch base with cool, Tame. Yeah. Thanks yeah. again, Tame, for, for jumping in. Because yeah, no, no problem. We, we needed exactly your expertise that was missing. So... Uh, <laughs> It's good we closed that gap. Yeah. I hope I could contribute. It was, it was nice. It, was, it would definitely be interesting to talk again. And uh, yeah, sure. maybe we find reasons to collaborate somehow. Our show is a podcast from Tascape Media, hosted by Alexandra George Pico, who's also an assistant producer and Theodore Simmons, who produces and edits the series. The production assistant is me, Beatrix Keeler. Alistair Simmons is our executive producer. Our thanks to all who have been involved in making the show possible. <laughs>